Welcome to the Just What I Needed to Hear podcast with Yoga Farm Ithaca, where we teach you how to live the principles of yoga both on your mat and off the mat in the living curriculum of your precious life. In the spiritual world and community, there are sometimes practices that, for lack of a better word right now, require that we hand over our autonomy to someone else. And it's often very much packaged in the, well, we surrender and this is how we are able to access discipline um, and devote ourselves to a teacher. And the, the short phrase in my mind for that is guru worship, which has been present in so many different lineages, so many different lineages. I mean, we can look up uh, the crimes of Yogi Bhajan, we can look up the crimes of Osho, we can look up, you know, Bikram, Baron Baptiste. There are so many examples of teachers who were in a position of power who abused that power. This is the tricky part with putting any teacher of any discipline up on a pedestal and giving them your sovereignty, giving them your autonomy, handing it over. And I highly recommend constantly keeping in your mind that these are just humans. They are just humans. And in the same fashion that I would never uh, read or hear or learn about the crimes of a Catholic priest and attribute that to all of that faith, the same thing happens in my mind when I am practicing a yoga practice, when I know the benefits of that practice, when I've felt the effects of that practice. And then I learned that someone involved with that practice, a human person did really awful things. I wouldn't attach that person to that practice. Now, this gets a little bit sticky in the Kundalini community because for as much as Yogi Bhajan was not a guru, and he wasn't, he was a very savvy businessman. That's what he was. He was very good at capitalism. He understood how to make money and how to keep that money flowing. So many, many things that are under the headline of Kundalini with a capital K, he took ownership over. He took ownership over and he required that people give him credit for practices that had been around for thousands of years, thousands of years, chants that had been around for thousands of years. Now, what is also true about the roots and history of yoga is that for a very long time, it wasn't written down. Manuals weren't created. You, you know, you guys come to our yoga teacher trainings. We give you a manual. We give you Mark Stevens textbook. We give you all these written things that are useful in linear learning. But we have to remember that for centuries, it was a teacher speaking to a student. And the transmission happened in that way. Teacher to individual student, teacher to individual student. So people were not writing things down. People were not claiming ownership. And, and, and truthfully, a lot of very wise yogis 
We're like, this isn't mine. I don't own this. This is in the environment. This is in the ether. I was gifted this in meditation. I don't own it. It wouldn't even occur to them to own a part of yoga. How do we own yoga? That's a Western concept. It's a very Western concept. And it's part of the reason that colonization of yoga has swept through the West. <clears throat> so I can go on and on about this for hours and, um, and I'm not going to because in our programs, I do talk about this. We have specific classes about this. Uh, we talk about the decolonizing process. And when it, for me, and I don't expect anybody to ever agree with me or follow what I have to say. For me, teaching Kundalini yoga is an act of rebellion because for a long time, it was only accessible if you had enough money to be taught it. And, and a long time, I mean, before it even came to the West, highborn Brahmin men were really the only people who had access to Kundalini teachings, to Kriya yoga, Laya yoga, and Nada yoga. And, um, and in the West, there is a way of teaching Kundalini that is like a prescription. And you are warned to not break script. You are warned. I made many teachers angry with me, friends. And for a long time, I did not believe I was gonna teach Kundalini yoga because I wasn't gonna teach it through the lens of guru worship. And eventually I just got too old that I stopped giving a shit about what other people think. I can feel how these practices have saved many parts of my life and my body and my spirit. And that's what I invite other people to test for themselves. Don't believe me, test things for yourselves. And that is a different approach because in one training I, I was in for Kundalini yoga, I walked out of because we had to hold a picture of Yogi Bhajan up to our faces and stare at it for 30 minutes. No, not gonna do that. So um, can I separate the parts? Well, I separate them. And again, guys, you don't have to agree with this part of me. <laughs> you really don't. I separate the parts of Catholicism out of it that I don't like. My husband was raised Catholic. I'm like, we're like, mm, I don't like this part. We're just going to ignore that part. You know what the part I like? I like this prayer over here. This is beautiful. We can have, they can read this at our wedding. And he's like, what? You can't just pick and choose. And I'm like, I just did. I just did. And I recognize that other people have a much more like rigid connection to spirituality and religion. I was raised by crazy pagan lesbian women who just like flew by the seat of their pants all the time. And there were not a whole lot of rules for me. So spirituality and God, goddess divine for me is about only what lights me up. And if something sounds exclusive, if something sounds limiting, if something sounds um, like control or giving up my own power, I'm gonna take all of those parts out and I'm gonna focus on the thread that I believe is present in every spiritual tradition. 
the thread that sounds like love. And that's what I'm going to focus on. Yogi Bhajan was a very wealthy young man. He was a very, very wealthy young man. And he was also a physician. Okay. So whatever Yogi Bhajan was, that was not great that we can be like, oh God, he wasn't a guru. He wasn't a spiritual leader. Um, he, he was an MD. So he took practices that had been shared with him in secret, in secret, his whole life. And he brought them to the West, breaking every single code ever about Kundalini Yoga. Because if you were taught these practices, you were sworn to secrecy about these practices. And Yogi Bhajan put himself up on his little pedestal and said, I will be the one to break this uh, silence or this exclusivity. Uh, took credit for, for that part of it, for bringing it to the West and then making it West friendly. You know, some of the music and... And, you know, the dancing and the moving, he was appealing to the hippies of 1968 completely. Um, and so the practices are very old traditional practices and some of them he did adapt. What he did do was he created a research institute because he's a doctor and people did studies People, there was a ton of research. They were looking at its impacts in the cardiovascular system, its impacts on Alzheimer's, its impacts on memory. So, you know, this is what I'm saying, friends, by seeing things in an all good, all bad uh, light is, is polarization. And very often things in the world don't present that way. Where there is darkness, there is light. Where there is light, there is darkness. Did Yogi Bhajan contribute to incredible darkness in this world? Yes. And he also created an opportunity for thousands and thousands of people to do these practices, undergo tests, be part of studies, collect data. And, and there we go. Now, going back to what I said about Yogi Bhajan being a capitalist and an opportunist and a businessman. If anybody can just willy-nilly do kundalini yoga, what do I need to pay $5,000 for to go to New Mexico and spend a month at his ranch? I don't have to do that. So that's one aspect of preventing people from doing kundalini on their own. The other aspect is that when human beings actually start to awaken, and we don't have time tonight to talk about what awakening means in all the ways that it can unfold for different people. Regardless, when awakening starts to happen for anyone, when yoga, asana, and practice starts to change the way that we interact in the world, we are not the most complacent or complicit populace. We start questioning. We start asking hard questions like, well, wait a second, why don't, why doesn't everyone have health insurance? Why is that not a thing? We start questioning, well, well, okay, so I have to work 55 hours this week, but my boss has been golfing for three days and not accepting answers like, that's just the way that things are set up or that's the way that it's always been done. 
when you're on the path of awakening, you step into what is actual truth and then what is illusion. What, are the, what is the illusion in this world that we are totally and 100% contributing to? Because we are, we all do. We engage in the dance of illusion. The best example of this is the stock market. We invented this thing. We invented it and we freak out about it. Like we invented money and we freak out about money. So like human beings who are on the path of awakening, they are not complicit and they are not easy to control. And so of course there's going to be a bunch of literature and information out there that's like, don't do this thing. You know, to me, as, as a novice historian and teacher of U.S. history, I go back to the ways that, like, you know, women were warned to not read books in the 1920s. You know, don't read books. You'll get hysterical. Don't walk outside under the moon. It will affect your brain. Like, these are literally things that were told to people to be afraid of so that they were easier to control. And, and people who are on the path of awakening are not easy to control. They're just not. They don't make a um, easy to, they don't make a submitting populace. So, so that is the other reason that there is so much out there around Kundalini awakening. <clears throat> I've seen a lot of people have Kundalini awakening and I've never experienced it being a negative thing ever. Um, I have experienced people having major shifts in their life, which could have felt intense as they were unfolding. And ultimately their job was making them sick. It had to go. So I do not read those um, warning type of alarmist type of articles anymore. I used to read them a lot and, and really sit with like, well, okay, where could this person be uh, attempting to protect someone, you know? And, and I do think that a lot of times they're protecting their own interest. You know, it, it doesn't make anybody money to say like, when I'm like, you don't need me to be your yoga teacher. You all know that, right? Like you have everything that you need inside you. Well, that's not a very good business practice for most people. So they don't share that information. Um, Kundalini awakening personally, I, I can't speak for Francine. So definitely ask her uh, what she has experienced. Um, has been, an, has been a, a lived experience of falling in love with every aspect of myself. It's tuning in or dropping in whatever word works throughout any given day into longer and longer moments of bliss, of pure happiness for no reason, no outside tangible reason. It has looked like simple things like driving down the road and suddenly everything looks brighter like I have just cleaned the lens of my camera and I didn't even realize there were smudges on it. It looks like compassion being the first place that my mind goes rather than judgment. 
that's what awakening has looked like for me. And yes, there's been shaking tremors at times in the physical body. There's been really great sex that I definitely wasn't having before. Um, all other causes and conditions stayed the same, <laughs> same partner, same bed, same, uh, Thursday night plan, <laughs> totally different experience uh, in in my body with the entire the entire uh, arc of having physical intimacy, um, and it's also felt like an outpouring of creative energy. So so that is awakening for me. Uh, I have also a pretty deep and long um, Vipassana practice, and um, and I'm and I'm rooted in that part of Theravada Buddhism, and so I understand that sometimes awakening is like really potent, and I can feel it and be in it, and other times it seems like oh God, maybe that went away, and I'm never gonna feel that again. Um, so. It, it doesn't, it hasn't been to my experience where you just poof are electrified and then you never come back down into, into your body and into the real world. Um, it has felt sometimes like I have left and ascended and then 45 minutes later, I'm brushing my 23 year old's hair because she still thinks this is something I need to do for her when she's home, you know? Uh, so that's what it's been like for me. And, um, and I've heard different stories and, and watched different people on different parts of their path, experience different symptoms, different symptoms. Um, and I can say that sometimes with Kundalini awakening or Kundalini symptoms that are put out there is some tremendous detox going on with, with actually the, the physical body, you know, there, there's detoxification going on in the blood. There's detoxification. I've, I've seen people hit those highs of the, of touching into awakening and suddenly they can't drink alcohol anymore. Like literally they can't at the tiniest drink leaves them drunk for days and not feeling well. So, you, you know, changing your body chemistry, uh, and your hormones are recalibrating and balancing. And we put a lot of random stuff into our bodies. So um, that can create a physical experience for some people that, that can be like, whoa, that was a lot. That was a lot to release. And in a lot of Hatha Vinyasa yoga classes in the West, breath work isn't focused on. It isn't a, a central focus. Some teachers are comfortable teaching it. Others aren't. So I would say that this this rapid pathway to awakening is um is more about the pranayama it's more about the breath than it is about mm. kundalini practice itself and um and i can you know i have friends who practice all different lineages of yoga and what we've all kind of surmised is that kundalini is definitely a faster pathway you can get there whatever practice you choose and and kundalini is a is a more rapid access point to that mm. because of the combination of changes in the nervous system 
changes in the hormone balances of the body, the breath work that's going in and the postures where you're putting pressure in different meridians and trigger point therapy parts of the body. Um, so it's like awakening, enlightenment, moksha, whatever you want to call it is accessible no matter what your path is. Because if you're here to awaken, you're going to awaken. You might be driving on the dirt road up the side of the windy part of the mountain, or you might be on the freeway. You know, it, it's very, very individual.